Good morning. Welcome to the We Are Driven podcast, where we discuss the pursuit of excellence in business, fitness, and cars. My name is Arun Kumar, and I'm the driver. I'm here today with my co-host, Dan LaRue. How are you, Dan? Doing all right. Good morning, Arun and listeners. This is episode 18, and today we're talking about Dan. Actually, Uh first, sorry, logistics. If you like what you hear, (laughs) share the podcast, leave us a review. Uh, we're only growing this way. We're not running ads. We're not doing anything special. We're just talking about it to our own little circles and hoping that it grows from there. And that makes it sound like the worst marketing strategy ever, but that's why we need your help. So please, if you're a marketing genius, especially share this because you'll do something cool with your sharing and it may help us blow up. So thank you in advance. Um, now we're talking about Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I thought I was in the clear. So we thought, you know, we did a we did an Arun's story episode. I don't know how many weeks ago that would have come out now. Probably a couple of months, three months even. I think and fifteen episodes ago, maybe fifteen episodes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, so we're in that ballpark. And and uh, while. We are driven is is something that I created. I've I've been very fortunate to have Dan supporting me in in the company from the very beginning, and so I'm very grateful to that. I wanted to make sure that you know for for the listeners, who the hell is this other guy who occasionally pipes <laughs> who, up when who's, Arun's... who's the mystery man? <laughs> yeah, when, the other mic <laughs> when Arun gives him a second to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is that? He sounds like he may have some interesting stuff. We know he has a Mustang. And I think we know he lives in Nebraska. Had a Mustang. Had, had a Mustang. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not um, anymore. But Maybe another else, one soon. What else do we get to know about Dan? And so I was I was listening to that Project Car Excuses podcast. Quick update here. Listening to that podcast, I talked about how I traded the Mercedes for an Integra. I drove no i did not drive i trailered the integra up to seattle and have used it on the last couple of trips that i take i take a trip up to seattle once a month for a client and to see my family and i've been using that car up there but i listed it for sale with three pictures that i took in december or january right when i got it um and i've had probably 100 messages about it listed at 3400 bucks geez probably get 3400 bucks for it those teggies um, are getting popular again i know it's an automatic salvage title <laughs> yeah someone <laughs> someone just wants to buy that as a shell right yeah they just want the shell and the motor's good motor's healthy so they're, they're getting a solid little thing but so i'll be up there next week and you know basically message all the people who i who i've heard from and just say who wants it? Come and get it. <laughs> yeah, first, first come, first serve. First come, first serve. Here, I'm at this address. We'll sell faster if you offer me more. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, okay. Sorry. Tangent. Tangent aside. I just wanted to give that update. <laughs> I predicted on that podcast that it was a three thousand dollar car. I listed for thirty four hundred, hoping to get three thousand. I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I'd say <clears throat> say you're you're in the clear there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, Dan has been around in, in the, we are driven community since it became a community beyond just a brand that I was kind of not sure what it was. 
so when it when it became a community he's one of the founding members of that community so i'm very grateful to have him along here and i'm, I'm going to leave it to you to to talk a bit about you know who you are and what brings you here yeah has it has it been a year yet for the for the community so so it's for cool. the driven network it's been uh 11 months yeah, well, I, was say, I figured it was ten, getting close. Yeah, yeah, ten. It was right at the end of May, I think it started. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I was like, man, it's got to be coming close. Yeah, that was end of May. It's been fun. It has weekly weekly calls and texting and messaging and Facebook videos and all the different platforms we've used for it and uh, gotten to know each other well and and seen a lot of transformation from everybody who's been in the network, especially since the beginning, but I'm glad to see now new members coming in, new members getting engaged. It is actually growing and and we're creating something that has people living a better lifestyle, driven lifestyle. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been interesting to see everybody's little changes, some big changes you know, over the last year, there, there's something to show out of everybody. Yeah. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, hi, I'm Dan. And it's, uh, it's great to be speaking with all of you. And, uh, you know, I'll give you my, my life story as, as I guess how I see it and where it came from and, uh, how I am today or how I, who I am today, I guess is a better better statement there uh, so we'll we'll start at the very beginning uh, so i'm a byproduct of a true middle class family uh grew up in southeastern michigan um pretty much a small town um sm- suburb of toledo ohio so if you need a map reference if you look at your hand it's the the very bottom corner of your thumb is where I grew up, uh, right next to Lake Erie. Uh, pretty much a, it was like is like a half and half of suburb and a farm town mixed together. It was this weird mix of of people. Um, both my parents, uh, very middle class. Uh, my dad was a uh, a concrete uh, concrete truck driver. Shoot for probably 15 years of my life, uh, somewhere in that ballpark. And my mom was, uh, an occupational therapist. So, uh, very, very middle class. Uh, my dad was a very hard worker, worked with his hands. I rarely ever saw him, uh, just cause he was up early, home late in bed early, uh, kind of, kind of lifestyle for him. Uh, had one sister, uh, technically, I have a brother that passed before I was born, uh, so that that left kind of a an interesting dynamic for my childhood because, like, my parents were a little protective of my sister and I because they lost one, uh, but that was okay, you know. They're they're good about it. Uh, so yeah, I lived in this small house way out in the middle of nowhere in in southeastern Michigan. Uh, we were actually like on the outskirts of town. Um, we moved when I was about, I don't know, 12 ish to more in town, you know, things were going good. And, uh, this is where 
like life really started to happen where like my memories come in and uh, things I remember. Uh, unfortunately, this was ended up not being a good time for my life. Uh, we, my family ended up getting hit very hard by the 2007 to 2009 recession. Um, my parents were the victims of Wells Fargo and their uh, home loan bedding and shorts, whatever the heck they were doing. Uh, it was so bad that they would even send mortgage checks to Wells Fargo and they would just send them back because they, they were trying to force the foreclosure on our house. Uh, it, it was it was awful. Arun's over here twitching his head. I, I, I didn't talking. know. So I've never heard of that level of abuse through the banking yeah. system, but mm-hmm. it's, Wells Fargo has a reputation of that, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it just, it was a brutal, brutal part of our life. Uh, because of the recession, no one was building anything. My dad was quickly out of a job, mm-hmm. um, which really hurt him. You know, he's he's got his own, you know, demons that he deals with, and it, w- it just made him worse. And, uh, and I'll get more into my dad towards the end of this, um, and and why I am because of him, uh, because at this point, you know, he had lost his job. My mom was still working because, you know, medical field always needs people. Uh, but yeah, we lost the house because he didn't have a job. There was nobody hiring. He doesn't, didn't really have any skill sets other than wrenching on big machinery or, driving a concrete truck, you know, there wasn't anything there. Uh, so we lost the house, ended up in this small apartment, which it is what it is at this point. I'm, I'm starting freshman year of high school and, you know, it it just was a depressing time, uh, for just about everybody. How was the rest of the town? Was it the whole town got hit or was it, you were kind of an outlier? Yeah. So, Michigan as a whole got hit really hard um, during the recession, uh, just because it's such a middle class state, mm. uh, especially where I was in the state, because we were, you know, we were 45 minutes south of Detroit. Um, my town, with it being a suburb town, I would say it was probably about 50 50, mm. uh, dependent on what your occupation was, because, you know, Toledo, Ohio is a fairly large town. So there was stuff to do. As far as work, if you, if, you know, if you're educated, um, you know, had some sort of degree, had some sort of skill set. But like if you were if you were like on the more middle class or lower end, it wasn't good. And <clears throat> also that was the time so GM declared bankruptcy in, in 08. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure even beyond just the national level of the economy, even your local ish economy of you know i don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people work for gm in detroit but it, i assume there's some spillover economy into toledo oh yeah, oh, yeah. well um toledo ohio is where all of the uh, grand cherokees and wranglers get built there you go yeah so which is that, GM. That was, that was <laughs> yeah uh the gm has a transmission plant in toledo mm. uh so it, it yeah it, it, people were affected in that town and it yeah. it hurt like in, in because there's it's such a blue collar town, like once the jobs go, there's no recovering. I mean, we right. we tried everything to, to keep our house. We did the cash for clunkers, you know, the unnecessary killing of V8s in America. Uh, 
you know, we, we did it all just to try and survive and keep the house and never got there. Wait, you, you bought cash for, for clunkers or you donated your car cash for clunkers? We donated one. Yeah. Ugh. We donated, we donated a, shoot, it had to be like a late nineties Silverado. It was like four oh, different colors. No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like it, it was right before they went to the, the round noses. Yep. Still had like the square a, front end. It was an OBS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lifted. It was, it, be, you know, it, it would have been a great first truck for me. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's worth decent money now. Yeah. Oh, survivors. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. There was one day, a you know, little tangent. My dad and I were driving and next thing you hear a clunk and then a helicopter noise and exhaust just completely fell off the truck. <laughs> so he, he hops out, just throws it in the bed of his truck. He goes, I'll fix it later. <laughs> That's also not something that would happen in the West Coast because of rust. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the rust in Michigan is awful. But yeah. But yeah. So we ended up in this small apartment, and you know, my my dad and I at this point really start not seeing eye to eye on some things, um, mostly because he wasn't around. Um, we both had different personality traits. Um, I. He's going to listen. My mom's going to listen, but it's okay. Uh, at this time, he'd been drinking pretty heavily, and and that's, you know, who he was and how he dealt with some of the things that he had gone through in his life, which is quite a bit. Um, you know, it, it got really bad there for a while. Uh, but he ended up, through unemployment, they paid for him to go – to truck driving school he got a cdl and he ended up over the road and then i really didn't see him for a while and um and uh he he was doing what he could for his family you know just trying to trying to provide and and that spawned him into uh uh being a diesel mechanic for a, a local trucking company and farm company he, it's funny his name's john and he ended up farming and i called him farmer john for a while <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, that's how my dad was through my high school period. It just, I didn't see him much. We didn't see eye to eye on things. Uh, my mom was great. She, she was there for all, all the sporting events and whatnot. Um, she was super supportive. Uh, so through high school, you know, I was involved with sports. Um, I, I played football I played baseball, uh, I didn't really care for baseball much. I just did it to do it. Uh, I did a lot of weightlifting when I wasn't playing football. Football was a, was a passion for me. It was something to let go. How how did you get into the weightlifting? Was it just because your football coach recommended it? It, it was yeah. It was actually through football because like we had we had this uh, when I first started in my when I got to high school and I started playing freshman ball. Our weight room was tiny. I mean, tiny, tiny. And we're talking about a team that was a full roster of like 70 kids. Like everybody wanted to play. And uh, we were working out every day. Uh, They usually gave us Fridays off, but I would go in anyway. Um, And then like through the off season, they wanted us to keep doing something. If we weren't, if we had plans to play the following season, they wanted us in the weight room in the off season. If you weren't playing a sport, which I really wasn't 
So I was weightlifting in the off season because I had nothing else to do. Needed to be out of the house. Football and weightlifting were a way to be out of the house because I didn't want to be there. Uh, I was, you know, unhappy because we were in an, like a tiny apartment at the time. So it was something for me to get out and why I was playing sports and trying to do everything I could. Was it so you said 70 kids and everybody wanted to play. Was it a mm-hmm. big school where it was competitive to get onto the sports? So it, uh, I graduated with 420 kids, uh, which is crazy because it, it was a small town, but there was a lot of kids in the community. Um, so that there sounds, was a lot of, if I, if I do the math, that's like half of all the guys were on the football team, roughly. Pretty much. More. Yeah. 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 Okay. It, it was a, you know, you, then you have, you know, the different classes mixing and whatnot, but, mm. uh, yeah, oh, right, like right, to right. get, to get on like some of the actual tryout teams, it was very tough. Uh, in some cases, like, like playing baseball, I didn't play for the school cause I definitely wasn't good enough. Mm. Uh, I definitely didn't try basketball. I'm not tall enough. Uh, wrestling wasn't my thing. That was my brother's thing. So, uh, did, did you, so did your parents suggest that you get into sports? Was it just because nope, everybody nope. was doing it? It was, uh, it was all me. My, when I was real little in elementary school, my friends had been playing football and, uh, I, I was about a year behind. And when I started playing, that's how I ended up playing. I just this something to do. My, my parents always encouraged hmm. that I go do something, whether it was sports or play an instrument, whatever. Um, something. And that's that. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I chose to do was, was play football. And I just stuck with it to the end. Um, yeah. After, after my freshman year, uh, my school actually won the Pepsi refresh challenge for $250,000. I don't know if you remember it or no, what'd you have to do? So, like, it, it was like this. They they were doing this like bus tour, and they were like going around the country, and you could set up this project or charitable thing where people could vote on your uh your cause, and if you had like the most votes, then you won. So we submitted uh for the two hundred fifty thousand dollar one, the highest one for a new weight room, and somehow we won it i i still to this day it blows my mind i still like the t-shirts and stuff from like you won yeah that's a ton of money for a weight room that's great we we built a state-of-the-art weight room and it was awesome it was like four times the size the floors were actually rubber and not carpet with concrete underneath of it fresh weight racks fresh weights uh the big ass fans in the ceiling that are super expensive like it was top tier, like wonderful. This is coming from a community at that time had no money, no money to be putting into this. They were PO that they built a new stadium 10 years prior. So, and so now we're in 09, right? Yeah. 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 09, 010 era. Yes. 010. <laughs> yeah. 010. So, so what, what happened next? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, was playing football through I played yeah I played through senior year kind of um after my sophomore year um I had actually injured my shoulder really bad it was first game of the season it was actually before school even started uh I was on kick return and uh I was front row 
and had decided that I was going to put the dude in front of me on his ass. And uh, I did. But he was twice my size, and I had popped my shoulder out of my so- out of the shoulder socket and popped it back in on the field. And it hurt, you know, and I wasn't any stranger to pain because I'd broken my arm playing football before and, like, and everything else that you deal with while playing. And uh, we weren't very good that year. We had a coach we didn't like, and we ended up on kick return very quickly after that again. And uh, I did the same thing, popped my shoulder out. And this time it hurt a lot, a lot, a lot. And I was like, all right, like this this sucks. And then uh, I I was like, I kept playing, ended up on kick return again before halftime. And I did it a third time. What in the world? This time my fingers went numb. Couldn't, couldn't, Couldn't feel my fingertips. And at that point I knew I was in trouble. Like I had really hurt myself. So ended up getting, I, I told my coach, I'm like, look, I, I can't even move my arm. It's done. Like done, done. And I ended up sitting out a couple of games, ended up getting it checked out. Uh, they stuck a, a, a giant like four inch needle into my shoulder joint and filled it with dye and took an MRI. And turns out I had torn my labrum completely on the backside of my shoulder. Gone, completely gone. And they said, well, you could do surgery or you could leave it be as long as you tolerate it. So I didn't want surgery because I knew it would put me out another season if I did it. So I played through it. I I played through all varsity ball. uh, But because of that, it limited my ability to build strength in my upper body. Because just about any sort of overhead press or incline press uh limited how i how i could do it and how much weight uh i would routinely skip incline bench because i if i put more than like 115 pounds on the bar it would just pop my shoulder out uh which is great if you're weightlifting and then because of that i wasn't playing hard on the field so i wasn't a starter i pretty much rode the bench and was just around uh you know, help the starters at that point, uh, you know, be a scout team guy. So I may be jumping ahead here, but was <laughs> your mindset during that time? Oh, I could have been really good. I could have been really strong, but my shoulder. Um, I probably could have been better. Uh, there were some other factors going on, which I'm about to get into. All right. Uh, and why I, I could have been better. Uh, why why I could have rehabbed it better. Uh, so outside of football, you know, I was doing the normal, you know, high school life. Um, I, I got really great grades, even though I didn't try whatsoever. I, th- I thought school came way too easy for me. I was, I was very bored uh, with pretty much every single class I went to, with the exception of auto shop, funny enough, uh, just because I was doing something with my hands. Uh, just yeah school just felt too easy so I I felt bored I didn't try I did my homework typically in five minutes in the morning before class like just who I was I ended up I think I graduated like at a three five GPA without trying and I could have tried uh and then my ACT scores were awful I mean awful awful 
Because like, do you I don't, think I think I scored like a, I think it was like a 19. <laughs> so Ooh, yep. That's yeah. Bad. It was so bad. Like I just didn't care. I didn't care to pay attention. Like it, and, and I knew it, it wouldn't matter. Like I, I just had this mm. feeling through high school. It didn't matter. I, I didn't care about school. I had a hard time deciding, uh, you know, what I wanted to do after school. Right. Um, I was chasing girls. Um, I had actually met the girl that brought me to Nebraska while I was in high school. Uh, and that's the other half of the reason why I'm not, why I wasn't as good at football as I thought I would. I was so distracted by mm -hmm. chasing the girls, not caring about school, wanting to do other things. You, you know, I could have been better a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, but, and I you think know, this... young teenage brain. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say is, is every, I mean, most of the guys that I knew, I can't say every, because that's too far, but most of the guys that I knew were obsessed with girls at some point in their teenage years, mm -hmm. just because that's what your hormones want to do. And yeah. for all of us, that just means you get distracted from school, you get distracted from sports and depending on what that path looks like for you, like I have a similar, like, Oh, my high school girlfriend kind of story. Yeah. And, and I'm sure probably 50% of guys have that kind of story. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, it's funny because like I see young, young guys now and even young girls, I'm like, Hey, don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school. And they go, why? I'm like, because it does nothing but ruin your early adult life. <laughs> Or, or at least recognize, and I know people who married their their high school sweetheart. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But you change a lot between the ages of fourteen and twenty. Oh, hundred percent. And you probably won't be the same person that fell in love with the same person who's also not the same person in that six year time period. And yeah. For whatever reason, and all the changes that you go through in both yourself and your mindset and your life that's a tough time for people. Yeah. And I'll jump, I'll jump just a hair ahead and then jump back. But the girl I had met, uh, that brought me to Nebraska and it, it was a long distance relationship that we had been involved in, th uh, until 2015. So we ended up being engaged and broke it off and it, it's a whole story. So, okay. That so, so what Arun really is saying fast. is correct. Um, People change. Yeah, and I was I was planning a wedding in, with my high school sweet. We didn't get engaged, but still, yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's okay. Life's better because of that, but that's a whole different story for a different day. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So auto shop was my jam. Uh, I didn't. I did my first year of auto shop uh, my sophomore year, and uh, that class came way too easy for me. I mean, way too. I took like it was an intro class. I I gave no shits about anything that was going on. Like the teacher is great. Uh, his name was Mr. Snecky. He was a fantastic teacher. Uh, it, the real reason why I took auto shop was because I knew you could come in late whenever you, or pretty much whenever you wanted. Cause the door to the shop was always unlocked. So you could come and go. He didn't care. He's like, you guys do whatever you want. A uh, bunch of guys, we would sneak out through his classroom to go to lunch. Cause we couldn't do off campus. So we just like, ran through the shop, got in the car and left and then came back for the next bell. Uh, so th 
it was really like to abuse the system is why I originally took the class. Uh, ended up loving it. There was a lot of things that that made me fall in love with cars. And even though it was easy, like the intro class was easy, I, I found that doing electrical was challenging. I still find it challenging. I, I, I absolutely will call my electrical buddies when I want to put something in my car that requires it because I put my hands up. I'm like, I'm out. Like, <laughs> even though I took the class, ASC certified, like I don't, nope. Uh, then you just let slip. Thing. You just let slip something controversial. <laughs> what? ASC certified, but having yeah. no idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm out. Like, oh boy. I want to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think the certs are good now, but uh, took steering and suspension, which is that one was was great. Uh, you know, it was a good class. I got to bring in my car and work on it as I seen fit. Like, if my Explorer at the time needed a hub. I was able to just bring it in, order the part actually through through the school account, get it cheaper, throw it on. Oh, hey, hey, Mr. Snecky, uh, this is taking a little longer. Can you write me a pass so I can be excused from my next class? Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of it. You know, it was, it was great. Uh, we did a pit stop challenge. Coincidentally, me and the partner won that. Uh, I did the Edelbrock carburetor challenge. Uh, that was tough. I don't think I could rebuild a carb now. That That information's out uh and then got invited to a couple of things at the detroit auto show uh it, it was essentially like a specialized school day and they would do it before the show actually opened they bring in like a bunch of students and um, i got invited to do that event and take some classes and do a scavenger hunt and and that's really where passions for cars came in uh you know and from there graduated high school flying colors no big deal uh it's when i was going through the college stuff i didn't really know where to go with it i originally thought about being a pilot didn't work out uh decided i was gonna go move out to omaha instead uh live with my girlfriend decided to go to university of nebraska omaha and take computer science what a mistake uh that was like learning 80 million languages at the same time. Uh, it just, yeah, wasn't for me. It's hard, hard, hard class to take. Uh, part of the other reason why I moved to Omaha is that uh, my girlfriend's dad at the time offered me a job at a company called Ballyhoo Autoware. And I worked there from 2013 to 2015-ish, like early 2015. And essentially what it was, it was a, it was a visualizer for dealerships to show what aftermarket parts look like uh, on cars so that they could, so their aftermarket departments could have something to show the customers to help sell, you know, as a visual aid. Um, that company sold in 2015. Uh, I fortunately had some shares in that company that uh, offered me a small payout, but at 19 years old, I was like, holy cow, like, this is great. Like, I got money. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so for Bellio Autoware, that's where I ended up working at Chrome Enhancements, uh, which is where I work now. Uh, I also bought my first Mustang around this time. So wait, how did you get from, it's called Ballyhoo? Yeah, Ballyhoo Autoware. Okay, so yep. you went from Ballyhoo to Chrome. How did that happen? Uh, so Chrome Enhancements was owned by uh, 
by the guy who owned Ballyhoo Autoware. Uh, so he got it. Okay. So Chrome Enhancements at that time was owned by Keystone Automotive. Yeah. Uh, he had sold to them in 2012 before I was even around. So he's like, hey, I, I got a job. Okay. I got a job over here for you. We're selling because the, essentially what it was when Ballyhoo sold, it was a it was a takeover to get rid of us. Mm. We, we yep. were competition. Okay. We were in the way. So got it. Okay. So they got rid of us and they're like, yeah, we're canning everybody. So and and I think so. So far, like your automotive career, like professional career, like that side of it, it kind of just happened. And mm-hmm. through, you know, basically your your ex's dad, like you were able to get a job and that started your career in the industry. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, you hear you hear of people who stumble into it. You hear people who like didn't really know what they wanted to do and they found it and they loved it. I know like some of the people that I've worked with in my career that are in the automotive aftermarket, what you find is it is an awesome place to be because most of the people in the industry love cars and Mm -hmm. are happy to be working with cars and it doesn't really matter the prestige. It doesn't really matter the, you know, how much money you're getting paid or where you work in the country. If you're in New York city or whatever, that doesn't matter as much as like, Oh, I'm, I'm helping drivers be safer. I'm helping their cars Mm -hmm. be more reliable. I'm fixing them better, you know, making them cooler, whatever it is. The automotive aftermarket's full of really great people like that. And, and so for you as a car enthusiast that happened to find yourself working in the industry, that worked out really well. And, and, you know, you had, you kind of tried the path that you had been encouraged to take. Like you tried college, you tried a yeah. degree that, you know, supposedly does really well for people and you get tons of people. Like I, I did go to college. I saw tons of computer science and computer engineering, doctor, you know, pre-med students, pre-law students, all the traditional career paths that you kind of need college to do. They would start there and they'd end up with a psychology degree or communications degree that they didn't actually intend to use. And I kind of did the same thing. I went in pre-law, but I ended up an accountant. And so that worked, but it was by complete luck that I, that made that work. Um, Yeah. And, and so that's kind of a warning for people going to college is just, don't just do it because you think you should have this job that people are telling you to get because you don't know any better. There's so many different avenues out there that you just need to go start trying stuff. I would do that before you sign up for four years of paying tuition. Yeah. And spending an unreal amount of money. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Actually, Uh, my wife, Heather actually was a poli sci pre-law and she's got the poli sci degree, but is, in insurance <laughs> so right right and so that's what i was gonna do was poli sci pre-law yeah i lasted one quarter <laughs> yeah she didn't last long but yeah it it, it i was taking the comp sci courses because of value autoware i was working for a software startup mm. and and i felt like i could be of value uh going that route and it wasn't for me so I decided at the end of my spring semester in 2015 that I wasn't going to go to college anymore. It was two full years of college. It's when the breakup happened. It was a very traumatic experience for me. I, I was 
it hurt a lot. Um, and then I was also presented with a with an opportunity at Chrome Enhancements that was, here you go, you can manage a team of sales reps, or you can continue to go to college and be kind of like an assistant. And I saw the money on the management side, and I said, I'm going to quit college. Uh, it just it didn't make sense for me at that point to continue. Um, I didn't like the classes. I wasn't having a good time in my life, but I figured why not try something else, you know, see, see if it sticks. Um, and I never went back. So the listeners, uh, life is possible without college. Um, obviously you need it for some things. Um, I am a believer in experience over education. Uh, there, there are ways that you can navigate life with just experience on, uh, on its own. Uh, you have to be strategic about it. Um, but at this time, I had had my Mustang for a year now. Uh, it was a 2014 Mustang GT base stick. And uh, I had been presented uh, by a friend of mine uh, of a car club, local car club. He's like, hey, come out. I know you're having a hard time. Come hang out with us. I'm like, all right, sure, whatever. Went to the first, you know, little meetup. I fell in love. Like, I I found a group of people that thought like me, that loved cars, and it, it was fantastic. Um, I actually met my wife, Heather, at a car show. Uh, we were just friends for a long time. For I guess not a long time. I guess it was like four months. Uh <laughs> That's not uh, long at all. <laughs> yeah, but like that whole summer, like 2015, is such a blur for me because like I was single, living in a you know studio apartment, didn't care about anything going on. I was like, I was staying up to like three in the morning and then getting up at eight to go to work. <laughs> like it was, it was a summer, and I had so much fun, like just being around car people and staying out late. Uh, met Heather. I ended up going on a date with her and. September of 2015, I, I was like, hey, am I cool enough to take out on a date? Because she was five years older than me. And she says, yeah, you are. I go, well, is there anything you'd like to do? And she says, something competitive. And I was like, oh, oh. I was like, game on, girlfriend. <laughs> and I took her to the really fast, like, Euro go-karts in town. And okay. I laid it on. I laid it on. I had no remorse. Like, So you, so you won. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. good. <laughs> yeah, I I showed n- no remorse. Like, I was going for it. Heather, I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've been together ever since. So, uh, ended up getting married uh, in 2018. Uh, everything in Crumb Hans was, pro- was progressing really well. Um, you know, we were... We were crushing goals. I had a great mentor, uh, Colin McLaughlin, if you're listening with Trim Illusion now. He was a great mentor that helped me kind of get through those early years um, in learning how the business went. Um, my daughter Hadley was born uh, in 2019, uh, and that coincidentally was my first SEMA, <laughs> uh, which all right, yeah, 2018 SEMA would have been my first SEMA. And uh, that's where I really fell in love with the industry. And and it made me realize I wanted to do more with it. Uh, 
And from there, I ended up uh, signing up to be what was the Young Executive Network at SEMA, uh, just a member. Uh, and then COVID happened. So we did the 2019 SEMA. I had signed up for all the Yen stuff. Didn't go to any of it because I ended up having to come in late. Uh, our, yeah, we had towed a vehicle in. It was a whole fiasco. Never went to any of the meetings, nothing. And uh, COVID happens, and I fill out the form to be a select committee member, and I have met nobody. And I mean nobody. Somehow get on the select committee. Uh, Arun, coincidentally, is on at the same time. This is how we met. And uh, I, I was like, okay, well, I don't know anyone. Uh, 2020 rolls around and COVID happens. I'm furloughed at Chrome Enhancements. I'm going, oh my God, what's going on? I've lost my job. Uh, it only took 30 days and I was back in my office. They, they decided after 30 days they couldn't live without me. Thanks, Chrome Enhancements. Not to mention the automotive industry exploded. Yeah. Yeah. There was nothing going on. Um, so from April 1 to May 1, I was off work on furlough. Um, came back and from for the rest of 2020, it was essentially rebuilding Chrome Enhancements. It, we had gotten rid of a bunch of people. We had turned fat. Some people went on to go do other things because COVID was so tough. They had to move on to other things. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, 2020 didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, um, which is okay. Um, prior to 2020, I, I completely left this out. I was a on-site customer sales guy for Keystone at a local restyler group. Can't believe I forgot that. That was huge. <laughs> um, so that was, that was a sub job you took like were yeah, you still so, employed by chrome yeah so i was or? employed by chrome enhancements keystone right but i was also an on-site customer service and sales guy for this uh restyler group so it was funny at this time i was like able to double dip so if like i sold something from the counter to a walk-in customer right. i'd get commission <laughs> on that and then i would go and purchase it through their keystone account which i was attached to and i'd get paid on that so i, I was able to get the double dip action going and and just for so that's awesome. First of all, if for those <laughs> who don't know what a restyler group is, can you explain that? Yeah, so so a restyler group is essentially uh, this one was a was a was five companies that come together. Uh, typically, they're they're not that large. Usually, it's just a single shop. Um, but any, they they will do anything from lift kits, wheels and tires, uh, paint protection film, tent uh ceramic coating you name it if you needed something done with your car uh we would do it and the term restyling is you bought a car you want to do something different with it you want to restyle your car you want to make it look like an off-road vehicle or you want to make it look like a sporty vehicle like whatever it may be it's essentially like pick your poison shop yeah and so that's a, a candy store for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. sometimes dealers or dealer groups will do this sometimes. And this was my experience with the shop I owned in 21 and two as well is the consumer just bought the car and now they're bringing it to you. And, yep. and so, yeah, for 
for those of you listening, it's a it's a great resource wherever you are locally. I'm sure there's a restyling shop that you can go visit and talk to about how you want to personalize your car because they are they are by far your best resource for helping you spend more money on your car yeah. with, with them. Um, but it's also for the fun of it and it's for the joy of building cars, becoming part of the community, becoming part of the industry in some way. And as Dan's talked about, you know, it, doing that can really impact your life for the better. If you're in a dark place, if you feel alone, there's a, there's a car community out there for you. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I back to where I was, COVID happens. Uh, I get furloughed. I asked them to lay me off from their books. That way I could take full advantage of the government money during that time because they were paying way too much for me to sit at home and do nothing. Um, yeah. And then ended up going back to work and, uh, been working for Chrome enhancements ever since, um, late 2020, we had started a company called accessory.parts, which was ended up being an e-com company that tried to dabble into, uh, restyler shop consulting, kind of what Arun does and what he's talked about. Um, what Arun talks about with consulting with shops also comes from me. It's very tough. Um, based on the, your customers are often not super receptive to what you have to say. Um, and it was what it was. We tried it and it didn't work. Um, you know, A.P is still running to this day, but I'm not directly involved with it anymore. Um, and then through 2021 to current, uh, I've been managing my, my sales teams. Uh, I've been working with FLN very closely. Uh, I'm sorry. Young Executive Network changed its name to Future Leaders Network, so FLN, uh, really okay. closely. I'll just do a quick plug for FLN here. So SEMA uh, is probably beyond what you just think it is, unless you're part of it, and that's how you found this podcast. So SEMA is a trade association, and what that really means is it is a national, international community of all of the companies that are involved in the industry. And those companies typically appoint a rep or two that can be elected onto a select committee for one of the councils or networks. And the councils and networks are basically subgroups of SEMA that collect each of the individual sub-segments of the industry into closer knit communities that can share specific resources and have specific missions inside of SEMA as a whole. So you probably know of the SEMA show. That's a trade show. It is turning into SEMA Fest, which will be a consumer facing show as well. But historically, this has been a, a showcase for businesses to get together and exchange ideas and sales and marketing and network and all of that kind of stuff at a big convention event in Vegas. Um, these councils and networks hold events all year round and are very helpful for getting you into the industry. And, and for me, SEMA was huge in getting me plugged into the national industry beyond just the yep. local community. Mm -hmm. Um, right when I started my business and I, I know for Dan, it was the same thing. And if yeah, you're, I didn't, I didn't realize how many people we're out there that come from so similar backgrounds and are doing 
almost identical jobs or have, you know, have the same mindsets. It, it really opened my eyes. Right. And the, the last point on here is for both of us, we're, we're part of the select committee for the future leaders network or FLN. As you can guess by the name, it's for younger people, but SEMA has expanded multiple times the age limit. And so if you're <laughs> under 40, you can be the ripe young age of 39 years old and uh, join join the Future Leaders Network. And so, you know, we'd love to have you. You can, you can ask us about that, whatever you want to do, just to get more involved in the industry. Sorry, I'm huge tangent, but that felt <laughs> all, that was all, appropriate time for it. All good. Yeah. So I, I, I sit on a couple of subcommittees with FLN. Um, it, you know, I volunteer in the industry because it's my passion, because I love it. I don't do it for personal reasons or legacy. It's I'm doing it because I care. Uh, it, it's something fun for me to do on, on a few hours a month. Um, and then my other volunteer work, I, I volunteer for uh, a local event called the 1320 video ice cream cruise, uh, where we raise money for local charities. Last year, we were just shy of a hundred K and like 20,000 people on the facility. So it, it's a huge event. It's, it was awful last year cause how hot it was, but it's, something for me to give back to the local community um, as I'm giving back to a national community at the same time. Um, and, I'll, and I'll wrap up with this. So how, how does this story make me driven? How, how, how does it make me relate to this podcast and, and how we talk about our topics? Well, I come from a very hard place in life where we were middle class, didn't have much affected by the recession. Um, I was always told growing up to get out and go do something else, get out of this part of the country. Um, you know, that was really fueled by my dad and my uncle who were both hardworking guys. Um, and this, this is kudos to my dad and, we didn't see eye to eye when I was a teenager, but we see eye to eye now. Uh, we're, we're inseparable best friends when we're together. My dad was a disabled dad, had lost his leg before I was born. And that man never gave up, ever. He continued to push. And that's something that I carry with me now because he didn't let anything stop him. He was always trying to support his family. He somehow won a gold medal jumping on a kneeboard for the U S nationals water ski team. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? He, he, <laughs> wild dude. Like he lost his leg and he, in life kept going for him. And you hear these stories about how people like that just stop and they don't do anything with it. And up until the last couple of years, he worked a hard life, hard life, driving a concrete mixer, wrenching on vehicles, driving big trucks. And, I didn't realize it until, you know, my adult life that he's really my inspiration of being driven and why I want to be more, why I want to surpass my mom and him and, and why I want to continue to make life better for my own family. Um, and why I want to further my professional life and, and really my personal life. I like, I want to, I want the things I didn't have. I've had the things I didn't have and, and it feels good. And 
and that's what drives me, um, is remembering that I came from a tough place in southeastern Michigan, and I've been able to make life my own. So I, when was it? It was, it was middle of last year, came up with the new American dream. And while I felt it applied to me as somebody who's, whose parents, you know, worked hard and had the, the sort of aim of security as top priority for the family being what they worked for. That is not what we should strive for. And your dad inspired you to think that way. Yeah. And he, he told me to not be like him and, and my right. mom, he, like, don't, don't repeat the same steps. So while they were working to put a roof over your head, make sure there was food on the table, make sure you could go to school instead of having to quit and, you know, work on the farm at 10 years old, which is like what my grandpa had to do. Mm -hmm. Like those are the kind of things that as we continue to progress through generations, the saying is out there that now I'm going to butcher it. Well, <laughs> as I bring it up, <laughs> the, that, that hard times create strong men, that strong men create good times, that good times create weak men and that weak men create hard times. And that's how the cycle goes. And mm -hmm. we are driven exists in part to stop that cycle at a time where our parents were the ones that were hard and strong and who, who had to work really hard. And I, I feel the same way, you know, my, it's not, it's not the same story, but it, it, there's so many parallels that, you know, we are brought up in a world where, yeah, like we, we weren't firsthand experiencing that sort of suffering, that sort of stress over security that our parents were. But yeah. so for us to strive for the same thing is to throw away our damn lives and throw away what our parents worked for. And, yeah, it, and then we, we live a life of mediocrity because of it. Yeah, because we're like, by the time we're in our early 20s, we're able to afford a house. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, like you had the opportunity to go to college or not. You you got a job because of, of your connections and your work ethic instilled in you by the family values that you had from a somewhat stable household. And it was it, like, that is it's, it's easy to accomplish the old American dream. And so we have the new American dream now that is that we're driven to accomplish more that we want thriving financial success, that we want maximum physical capability and that we want to love what we do. And you're on the path to doing that. And we're, you'll never get there. You don't reach the dream. Oh yeah. It's all, it's always within fingers reach. <laughs> There's always more. Well, and, and we're always, um, like, <laughs> we're always trying to achieve something better for ourselves but it's important also to be grateful for where you're at because if you've if you're on this journey and you are driven you consider yourself goal-oriented and working towards something better then you have already accomplished things in your life that you should be freaking proud of yep and, and i 100 percent am 
I, I, yeah. I feel grateful for being on this planet every day. Yeah. And, and so then for what it turns into, think about your freaking potential. So this is the podcast that just came out today. I made an Instagram story about it. I'm going to plug it again. What is your greatest potential? You have no fucking idea. So don't stop pursuing more because you don't know what you're capable of adding to the world. And for however low you win to feel the pain that pushes you now, your potential is what needs to pull you forwards. And we are here together, like because of this last hour now, like I, I know that the next time that you feel down or the next time that I feel down, that we have to hold each other accountable to keep pushing because we both have that obligation. Yep. We we both have some sort of remembrance of a bad time that just pokes a spot that is a little bit tender (laughs) from previous scars. And yes, you will, you've, you've felt that pain, Mm -hmm. but we're also obligated because that pain came from a different type of circumstance than what our previous generations had to go through. Right. And we're here to stop the cycle of changing those circumstances in a cycle where it it is easy for us to create the same sort of goal-oriented life that our parents had. You know, I could have, I live in the Bay Area, so I can't afford a house here, but I moved to most places in the country, I could buy a house. and. It's, you can't just have a white picket fence and 2.2 kids and a secure job and two cars in the garage. That's not enough for our generation. No. And the way, and all of those things are material, except for the kids, but (laughs) your family and your success depends on what you're able to put into the world. And you, in order to put more and as much as possible into the world, you have to be capable of being a really good parent. You have to be capable of being really good at what you do at work. And you have to maintain your health so you you can sustain that high level of output for a long time. So that's what we're here to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just am thankful to hear that story today that I'm fired up now. (laughs) Great. I'm glad, glad I could get you fired <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's just, uh, for me, it's a remembrance of almost having nothing and knowing that my dad literally came from nothing. Uh, he joined the army when he had nothing. And, uh, that fuels me every day that I, I want everything. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. That's, that's awesome. So thank you, Dan, for sharing. Um, you're welcome. And then, yeah, um, that's that's all we got for today, guys. Um, if you want to support the podcast, just let us know how we're doing. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave a review on whatever episode this is, 18, I guess. Share it with people. Share Dan's inspiring story to to want to do more with your life. We'd really appreciate that. And outside of that, this podcast is sponsored by We Are Driven which is obviously our company and you can find it on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and we are driven.co. And yes, we are on TikTok because it turns out it's 
a very good platform for organic engagement and I can post as much as I freaking want on there. Yeah. I'm going to let it slide now. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're either at wearedriven.co. That's the website. There's an Instagram. There is a YouTube channel called we are driven. My personal Instagram and the TikTok are Arun D Kumar. Uh, Dan, your social media is Dan underscore LaRue on Instagram. Uh, and then it's just Dan LaRue on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, I guess I do have a TikTok account, but I don't really use it. So don't worry about that. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and as we mentioned, the, the driven network is is the main thing that we, we're trying to use to share the we are driven message beyond all of the free content that we have. So if you want to support yourself on a greater level, you can do that by by joining the Driven Network. And it's a it's a community of people that I lead that is pursuing excellence in business, fitness, and cars. And we have weekly coaching calls. We have accountability. We have a Discord community private for getting that accountability, getting that extra push from people and, and all the sort of tactical advice you could want in your pursuit of excellence. So whether you need advice on your project car, whether you need advice on the new business that you want to start, whether you need advice on your fitness journey. We're here for you. We want to help. Outside of that, we also have daily, every single seven days a week days, 4 a.m. motivational messages that I put out. And and I'm you can picture me, you know, sitting at the table, sitting on the couch, writing this at, you know, 426 a.m. every day. And and it is the mindset that I use to start the day to have the most possible energy that I can to be the best version of myself that I can. And, and I want to share that positive self-talk and, you know, I write it for myself too. I, if, if I had started writing it down for myself earlier, even if I wasn't sharing it, it's awesome to, to have that kind of power to start the day. Dan, anything else you want to close with? Nah, nah, I'm good. I, I, I clearly in uh, an hour is not enough time for a story, but that's okay. If any <laughs> listeners want to know more, I'll tell you. There you go. Yeah, there's a we these podcasts for as great as they are in long form, we're not here to be exhaustive to the 99.9th percentile, and that does mean ultimately stuff gets left out. But that's what we have the next hundred plus freaking episodes to to, to cover. Yep. <laughs> um. So. With that, this has been Arun and Dan. We appreciate you listening. Until next time, stay driven.